Hello and welcome once again to The Near Futurist. I'm Guy Clapperton and this show covers both the business and consumer worlds. And as always, I'll welcome feedback and input on the LinkedIn page. Just search for Guy Clapperton and Near Futurist and you'll find us. I say us, me. Before I introduce this month's guest, though, here's a word from my sponsor. Once again, it's not really a sponsor. It's me talking about media training. Bit of a spoiler there. clients want to sound as confident, clear, and fluent in media interviews as the people in this podcast? Of course you do. My team and I can help. Drop my assistant, Lindsay, that's lindsay at clapperton.co.uk, a note, and she'll set us a time for an initial chat. Or go to the website at clapperton.co.uk, two Ps, to find out more. Now, back to the podcast. And if you've stuck with us through that, thank you. Now, if you're listening to this, you're using power. You're probably not even thinking about it. I'm recording as I speak, obviously using power, and will be uploading to servers that will also consume power for the process, the storage, and again, to get the podcast to you. You knew all that, although you probably don't think about it the whole time because it's commonplace and obvious. One way to reduce the impact we all make on the planet might be to change what's commonplace, as we all use this power, and my guest today may have part of a solution. She's chief executive and co-founder of the market-leading SAAS, that's Software as a Service company, Electron. She's an internationally recognized expert on flexibility and low-carbon energy markets, starting her career in the early years of wind and solar installation. She formed Electron to mitigate network constraints and renewable curtailment, working to develop a more inclusive path to cheaper, cleaner energy. Using her experience across the energy sector, she currently sits on key advisory boards for Ofgem, the National Grid ESO, the Department of Energy and Future Clean Tech Architects. And basically, I'm sure she'll get the hang of it as we go along. Her name is Jojo Hubbard. Jojo, welcome. No, thanks, Guy, very much for having me. What a mouthful. Uh, well, it's, it's, uh, it's your career, entirely your fault. I blame you completely. But let's uh, start uh, with the basics. There was a fair bit of jargon in my intro. What is renewable curtailment, for example? So renewable curtailment is when we uh, turn wind or solar generators off, essentially, or stop their ability to export the power they can generate to the grid. And it's one of the great kind of travesties if, uh, that, that's ongoing in our energy system that that power is just this kind of wasted opportunity, and it's it's, it's a wasted opportunity. You know, it was it was never really an issue when when we got power from gas because you can turn gas up when there's more demand and down when there's not demand. But because renewables like wind and solar are variable and weather driven, sometimes you have much more power at a time or location than you need. And the current approach is to curtail it or waste it. And so what companies like ours are trying to do with local energy markets is create the sort of awareness of that opportunity by time and location to use more power and get paid to use more power because you are saving an energy generator from making revenue loss or a network operator or, or national grid from paying someone to waste power. Okay, so we are actively turning power off that could be coming from a sustainable source, is what you're saying, just because it's not totally predictable, uh, if I've understood that correctly. Is yeah, that correct? so, so the issue isn't that it's well, so, so the issue is it's variable. 
So, so it might be predictable, but, but, but because it's variable, you're not choosing when you get that power. You're getting that power because it's windy or because it's sunny. So unlike gas, which you can kind of turn up or down to shape when people want to, uh, when there's demand, with a renewable-driven system, you need to match demand to supply because you're not in control of when the weather, when, when the wind blows or when the sun shines. So it's predictable but not controllable. I think that's an important distinction. Thank exactly you very much. That. Thank you very much for that. that, that that's very that's very clear. Another thing that uh, came up in the intro was the phrase inclusivity. Now that can be quite a buzzword. I can imagine people uh, thinking, "Oh, grief, he's gone all woke and starting to complain already." But in this context, what does <laughs> an inclusive path to cleaner and cheaper energy actually mean? An inclusive means uh, we want everyone to be able to take part in it and benefit from it, not just to be inclusive and woke, but because that makes the whole system more cost effective for everyone. So if you've got a supply side driven energy industry, like because you can turn up and down gas, then not everyone can take part of it, like not everyone owns generation. But when you've got a world in which the majority of your generation is variable and uncontrollable, it's the demand side that needs to match supply. And the more people who can shape their demand to match supply, who can use power when it's windy, when it's sunny, where it's windy, where it's sunny, and who can be kind of have that communicated to them through kind of technologies and smart technologies and price signals, the faster and the cheaper our transition to net zero and the lower cost the system is for everyone because we're wasting less renewables and we're building less pointless infrastructure just for the kind of deep peaks that might only be relevant for 20, 50 days a year. This sounds uh, laudable, but how will you actually achieve any of this? So we achieve this by tying the value of uh, generational consumption to the consumer with with the value it's providing to the grid. So, for example, um, the network utilities, so these are the companies who own the wires and transformers, they know when their network assets are, are under stress because there's too much demand or too much supplier at a particular area at a particular time. Um, and they're already um, acquired by regulation and, 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 and making huge kind of technology development efforts to essentially send price signals through market platforms like ours to consumers saying, look, I'm going to pay you to shift your, your planned energy to, to consume more in this particular time or to consume less in this particular time. Um, National Grid's trying to do it at a national level. So the demand flexibility service that we saw run last winter, that will run this winter again, is trying to pay consumers not to consume power during particular afternoon peaks. And then there are these kind of exciting, even more local initiatives. Um, We've been part of some of them. Um, We call them like renewable curtailment markets that are monitoring when, let's say, a local wind farm is getting sent a signal saying you have to turn off now because there's no space in the local network to take your export. And we're sending those price signals to um, parties who are controlling consumer energy assets like OVOs or EDFs, for example, telling their consumers to charge their electric water heaters at that time or charge their batteries at that time um, to basically suck more power out of the local grid and create space for those renewables to export power again. So it's it's kind of win, win, win. Um, But we do it through price signals um, and through this kind of marketplace technology. And we can do it because um, of, of, of these controllable smart technologies that are arriving in consumer households. I made the mistake, obviously, of assuming that we were going to be talking about photovoltaics and uh, solar panels uh, at, at some stages. Is that part of your equation at all? It's, it's not a mistake. I, th- I think that this whole conversation started around peer-to-peer energy. And the general concept was that your neighbor's got excess solar and doesn't need it. 
and uh, you you could you could happily uh, take that power at that time, and you'd like to transact directly with them. So I think that that that, that peer to peer conversation probably around 2018, 2019, I think really started this kind of conversation going amongst uh, amongst you know people who I'd been at dinner parties with before who never ever wanted me to speak about energy ever before, and they were saying why can't I do this? And we were saying well well it's it's because the energy itself that the, the the kind of electrons in itself isn't the whole cake essentially so here's the analogy let's say you're trying to buy a cake and your neighbor has excess flour that's that's kind of how it works the kind of neighbor excess excess um uh, generation from from solar panels but flour is obviously not the only ingredient you need to make a cake and so to extend it back to the energy world you know you also need to add use of the local grid to get the power out of one house and into another house you need to add the uh, energy security wrap for example that your supplier gives you um, by finding electrons from elsewhere when there's not access uh, uh, solar generation next door for example so um what uh, the industry is sort of working on now and what market platforms like ours are doing is they're going in and building the data around how much of the grid are you actually using and how much value are you adding or taking from the grid by using power at that time in that location. And eventually, we'll be able to kind of put all these different data sets together to create uh, a world in which you can buy flour from your neighbor and uh, you can, and, and, and the network utility knows how to price the use of, of the system to get it there. And then maybe there are new business models that can provide that kind of wraparound or that assurance of, I'll provide you energy when there's not uh, 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 excess energy from some local generator. But really, I think... There's a lot, a lot of digital infrastructure and data and work we need to get there. So, so we're definitely starting at a higher level than that individual endpoint level. I think, I think the reason though that the peer-to-peer narrative is so fundamentally attractive to people is energy is coming closer and closer to the end household, and it, it's kind of becoming more tangible when you can see that solar panel next door, and when and when you've got a smart device in your garage. A lot of this start assumes we're starting not with a blank slate, but taking advantage of existing infrastructure, which is uh, to be welcomed. But there are power giants out there who, I might argue, have a vested interest in being able to charge excessively for electricity uh, when uh, there is a peak, because that's how they make an awful lot of money. How robust are startups like yours against that sort of competition? <laughs> So we're not competing against uh, power giants, but you're right. There are companies making huge amounts of money by charging through the nose to supply power during peaks. And that's because they're running uh, gas peakers or or fossil fuel plants that they can turn up or down on demand. And the fact is, like, we do not yet have a system, an energy system that can function by shifting enough demand to to avoid using those those peak supply systems, but the more they charge for it, and the more expensive they make, uh, they make that peak power. The bigger the incentive they're creating for people to be more flexible in demand, and I guess that is a uh, dying opportunity for them because in, in in a world where you have let's say a huge uh, uh, renewable oversupply, there are fewer and fewer days where you need those peakers, and in a world where you can build up much much more flexible demand, there are fewer days again and again where you can build those peakers. So. This is this is supply and demand behavior in the market that uh, platforms like ours that can engage um, parties controlling smaller energy assets and parties controlling demand side assets can eventually help to stamp out. 
Again, this all sounds laudable, uh, but uh, in order for it to work, you've got to get the word out there. Uh, an awful lot of these technologies take off because they're good, but mostly they take off because the marketing has been superb. The marketing spend is uh, out there. How will you compete um, to get the word out there, just in awareness terms? Funny, we, we've gone back and forth about this, but but actually, like we're we're not a peer to peer energy company, and we're not a B two C company. Like we're we're essentially building the the um, market platforms that enable, let's say, uh, electricity electricity Northwest to communicate with Ovo's customers and Octopus's customers. So that those companies are doing fantastic jobs. There's a lot of other kind of startups and companies and suppliers even around there who are doing fantastic jobs of kind of proposing these uh, uh consumer propositions where hey we'll we'll give you free power when there's excess power or we'll we'll manage when your car charges and guarantee you this much lower overall rate and things like that we're really the plumbing that let them do that so for us it's around creating an environment in which companies like that can then compete to create different um consumer side uh, propositions to but even then you have to make control. those you have you have to make your target clients, even if they are the, uh, the electricity giants, you have to make those people aware of you. Um, how do you uh, how do you get yourselves out there into the market? Gosh, so, so, so our customers there, let's say the network utilities or the national grids or parties like that. So, you know, we've been building local energy markets for six years, which is about two years longer than they really existed. And we, we've been working uh, on the advisory boards and with regulators to help build incentives for them to do the right things uh, for their customers and use networks more efficiently. So, so, so I guess that's how you start. And then it's really around what you can prove that you've done that's useful for a peer of theirs and what you might be able to do for someone else. This is not really one of the, I, I, I think getting the world out, word out there is helping customer people and politicians and everyone understand what the promise of a renewable driven energy system or a smart, flexible energy system, free power sometimes, you know, and cheaper power other times, presuming you can use power at the right time in the right location. And kind of creating in a way that kind of consumer desire regulatory push for these bigger utilities and to adopt platforms like ours that can make that happen. Okay, so if any of the uh, politicians or indeed uh, the um, uh, potential clients uh, <laughs> are out there listening to this, um, how do they find out uh, more about you? Uh, tell me about your website and other yeah. connections. So we're at um, www.electron.net um, and please get in touch we love to hear from you um, we love to hear from innovators in this space from new business models we're permanently permanently kind of working to try and connect some of these new flexible energy providers uh, or smart energy players to some of the kind of incumbent infrastructure Jojo Hubbard thank you very much thanks Guy and thank you for listening this has been The Near Futurist, a Clapperton Media production, and I've been Guy Clapperton. See you in a month.